It's not simple to do this podcast, as is evidenced by the fact that I haven't uploaded in a month. So, sorry about that if you have been holding out for an episode, but good news is that I'm back. We're back. So, that is exciting. And another thing that's exciting is keen-eyed viewers or listeners will have noticed that if you look at my podcast feed on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening, that there has been an addition to the podcast art, kind of in the bottom right-hand corner. And I'm so excited to announce that I have joined That's Not Canon Productions. So That's Not Canon is an amazing podcast collective that has a whole range of amazing podcasts on the network. Basically what they do is help podcasters to find new listeners and kind of promote the different shows through different channels. I'm so excited to see what comes out of this and where we can go. And I hope you are too. I'm going to put a promo clip from That's Not Canon Productions at the end of this episode. So if you want to stick around for that and see what they're all about, I would very much encourage it because there are so many amazing podcasts on that network and such a wide range as well from musical theater to like food and drink of Alaska. So there's something for everyone and I really hope you go check them out. And with that, let's get into this episode, episode 17 of Broadway and Other Kiwi Dreams, guest starring Holly Chapel. Hello. Welcome to Broadway and Other Kiwi Dreams, a podcast exploring the lives and minds of theatre practitioners in and around the New Zealand performing arts industry. I'm your host, James Shearer. Today, I'm joined by director, artist and tutor, Holly Chapel. Holly basically grew up in the rehearsal room, having joined her mum's acting classes from a very early age. Growing up aspiring to become an actress, Holly has somewhat pivoted into the world of directing and tutoring. Alongside her husband, Tom Eason, she runs two productions, a theatre company in Christchurch creating new work and assisting artists in creating their own. Holly is also the head of acting at NASDA and the programmer at Little Andromeda Theatre. Listen in to hear Holly talk about the journey of a small theatre company. We get a glimpse into the process of an acting tutor. And of course, we hear about what it's been like to raise a child in one of the busiest times of Holly's career. So, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, enjoy a conversation with Holly on Broadway and other Kiwi dreams. Hello, Holly. Hello. How are you going? I'm good. How are you? I'm very good. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Good. Hey, no worries. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course, of course. So you guys have moved to level one, right? Yeah, so we had level one as of Monday yeah, night. Sure. Well, Wellington's there. Uh, sorry, Auckland goes there tonight, and but it goes to level two tonight at midnight. But everywhere else is now at level one. Whoop whoop, which is great. Although yeah. I've kind of forgotten what level one means. I feel like every time we go to a new level, I'm like, I get used to that level, and now we're at level one. I'm like, oh, I, can't, I don't know. Do I still no. sign in at places? I have yeah. no idea what's going on. <laughs> Just do what Just people tell people. you. Yeah, all I know is more people at shows, and that's a good thing. Yeah. How has the the second lockdown being? Well, we didn't really go into lockdown, which was great. So mm. poor old Auckland had to deal with that. But um, yeah. just going back to level two was a bit rough. Like we were about to open Urinetown at NASDA. Yeah. And we're kind of like waiting. We were only going to be able to have live audiences at level one and da 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 da. And then every announcement, you're just waiting, being like, are we going to go to level one and be able to do the show? Or do we just 
So you're kind of making the show as if you're going to open, which may never open, which was pretty mm. weird. Yeah. Um, and then we ended up being able to get permission from Arda to have a, still have a live audience at level two, but just smaller. So that was good. I feel like now that I'm not in the middle of a show and little A is like currently closed for building. Yeah. The levels aren't affecting me quite so much. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but when we're like in the middle of trying to get a whole lot of shows up, then it's just like every day I'm like, what is the announcement? How many cases, how many days of zero are we at now? You know, yeah. like that kind of thing. But at the moment I'm kind of like, oh, sweet level one. This is nice. Yeah. Like, go see stuff. You kind but, of get to relax at this point. Yeah. Yeah. It's nice. After a crazy year. Till the lay opens again. Exactly. Till early <laughs> November. And then we have to worry about levels again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully this is, that was, we don't go back to two for a while. That would be nice. Fingers crossed. Yeah. Speaking of theatre and stuff, mm-hmm. the first question I mostly ask people is, what is your favourite musical? Do you have a favourite musical? Oh. Do I have a favourite musical? Or maybe a favourite show that is special to you in your journey? Oh, my God. I feel like I have so many. This is a, such a tricky question. We we start off the podcast with a tricky question. Yeah, sure. <laughs> okay. Um, So uh, the first musical I ever saw was when I was really little and my mum took me to see Cats at the town hall. Mm-hmm. And I remember really vividly like the cats all coming in through the audience at the beginning and just like looking over my shoulder as like six-year-old me and just bit, like this cat just like right there and like leaning on my shoulder. And I remember just being like, whoa, this is epic. Like <laughs> the audience interacting with people. Like I didn't know that that's what theater could be. Revolutionary. Yeah. And that was like a real life-changing moment for me, I think. I think that's when I was like, yeah, theater is where it's at. Which is funny because now I like absolutely hate the musical Cats. Did you see the movie? I don't want to. Neither. <laughs> I just don't think, I just can't see how that can translate well. I mean, it's not a great show. How, I mean, how can it be a good movie? Yeah. And from the reviews and all the comments, it's not. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've only heard bad things. I've, yeah. uh, other than my mum, who was like, the set was fantastic. <laughs> other than that, I have heard nothing good. Um but yeah, so that was kind of my like formative experience as a kid, I think. And then living in Wellington, I got to see lots of shows that I think rather than favorite shows, I have shows that I feel like have kind of like informed a shift in what I love about theater or like what I want to make in terms of theater. So we saw this incredible show in Wellington by a Russian circus family. Mm. And basically it was like, in a circus tent and you're split the audience was split between her halves one half was like the the circus show and the other half were seeing the backstage of the circus show mm. and then at halftime you were flipped cool and i just i remember that being a really formative experience for me and just being like oh wow this is so different from anything i've seen before and then just yeah reading things like seven streams of the river Otter, anything by robert lepage and like Robert Wilson and then going to Berlin, we just saw all these insane shows. Like we saw Robert Wilson's Shakespeare's sonnets mm. and it was like three hours of just insane. It was basically an opera based on Shakespeare's sonnets, but just like the most incredible imagery I've ever seen budgets that I just don't even know what New Zealand would do with that much money <laughs> for a show. And just being like, Oh, like the visual part of that really informed the way that we make and seeing like German clown shows was like, that really informed the way that we make and then seeing stuff by um, Teatro de Soleil on 
film and just being like, oh, that informs the way that we make. And then I'm trying to think in terms of musicals. I remember we went to we went to the West End and I was real pumped because we were going to see Les Mis and I was like, yes, Les Mis. And we saw it and it was like horrifically bad. Oh, wow. On the West End. Yeah, it was terrible. Like I've <laughs> never seen such bored looking performers in my whole life. Like <laughs> they were just like master of the house, like so bored. Yeah. And then the, that night we went to see Blood Brothers. Lamers was full, like packed. And then Blood Brothers was so quiet that we got moved from our like super cheap five pound seats down to the front of the first balcony kind of thing. So we had these incredible seats. And the two guys playing the brothers were actual twin brothers from Liverpool. They'd just been to Liverpool drama school. This was their first gig out of drama school that they got cast in Blood Brothers together. And it was just like, we were watching it being like, oh my God, these performances are amazing. And there's like 20 people here watching it. And Lamers was terrible. And there was like a thousand people there watching it. So I remember those being really formative for me as well on that trip. So that's a really hard question to answer. And then I I remember watching Come From Away and being like super moved by the age range on stage. Mm -hmm. And just I'd never seen that in a musical before. Yeah. Like I'd never seen like old people. Yeah perform in a musical I was like this is sweet I love this and I remember watching everybody's talking about Jamie I love that like that was beautiful yeah I feel like I love a lot of shows Mm. it feels (laughs) like that's where theater is going now whereas yeah you know like the mid mid 1900s it was all the big showy numbers and everyone was the same age and looked the same but yeah now it's kind of moving into everyone on stage looks like the people that are watching Exactly. Like everyone was like tall, skinny, white and blonde, you know, in in every show you saw for our whole childhoods. And then all of a sudden it's like you see these shows like Hamilton and everybody's talking about Jamie and come from away. And you're just like, yes, that's exactly what we should be watching and making. And it doesn't matter if you can't do like a freaking triple pirouette if you're like Mm -hmm. storytelling, you know. Yeah. A triple pirouette's Um, only good if it (laughs) portrays something. Exactly. Otherwise, like. Go to a dance comp, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, yeah, I remember being super moved by all of those shows and just being like, I'm really excited about where all of this kind of performance is going. I think mm. I just appreciate any show that kind of affirms, like, my belief in humankind. <laughs> yeah. And that's that's what art should be, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Totally. Speaking of childhood. Yes. Did you perform growing up? Yes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so my mum my mum runs a after school drama school with yep. her best friend. And that's been going for like almost thirty years. Yeah. So um That's original scripts, right? It is original it is. scripts. Cool. So I started doing that when I was like five, back when it was Redcliffe's Drama Club and it was one <laughs> class and it was in the Redcliffe's tennis club and it was so packed that we would and we're all ages, so packed that like the kids would have to sit under the ping pong tables when they weren't on stage. Yeah. So I started then and was definitely like my eight-year-old dreams were like, I'm going to be an actress, like a famous actress. That's my goal. And then, yeah, did that a lot throughout 
my whole life really. My, my whole life was just going straight from school to the rehearsal studio to begging mum to let me stay to watch the adults class and her yeah. being like, no, your dad's picking you up and you're going home for dinner. And me being like, please, please just let me watch one more class. This is going to be my career. Um, Come on. Yeah, this this is my life. Like you don't understand. And mum being like, you're absolutely not having a career in the arts. That is not a thing you're doing. And me being like, you'll never stop me. Um, and look at you now. And look at me now. And I think because... Because I did so much of that, I never took drama at school. I mean, it wasn't offered as a subject at my high school anyway, but same <laughs> classic girls high. Um, I didn't do any of the extracurricular drama stuff at school either, like Sheila Wynn and theatre sports and all that stuff, because I was just always so busy. I was at the studio like every evening and every mm. weekend and every moment I could possibly be, basically. So, yeah, I definitely as a kid was like, I want to be a performer. But I think that's because... I didn't know there were other options. Sure. I think that's pretty normal now. Like even when I was at drama school, the acting course was super popular and the design and management and directing courses and stuff just weren't as visible maybe. Mm. So I think I knew that I loved the arts and was just like, oh, I want to be an actress for sure. Yeah. That's the thing that you saw most. Yeah. And the thing that was most like readily available for me to do, like I could go and do shows Mm. and I did ballet and stuff like that as well so it was like yeah performing is the thing you do yeah and so I was like I'll do everything I can to be a performer I'll do all the drama classes and I'll do all the dance classes and I'll do piano lessons and singing lessons and like the whole shebang I think as a teenager is where that started to shift a bit Mm. for me yeah so speaking of that is there do you remember if there was a moment that you said oh I'm gonna do this as my career or was it always kind of where your life was heading Feel like I was pretty adamant as a kid. I think I think the moment where I was like, "This is it for me," is when I was about nine. I was cast in a like production of Jack and the Beanstalk. That was my first like non-original scripts show. Mm-hmm. And I remember auditioning for like one of the ensemble girls or whatever. And then they cast me as Jack. Cool. <laughs> and I remember being like whoa <laughs> crazy <laughs> was that just because there were no boys or, or was it probably yeah. i have no idea <laughs> it was so it was such a weird thing i've been like no oh, okay, i'm down with that yeah yeah and then i performed that as jack and it was like you know three shows a day for two weeks kind of thing and i that was the moment where i was like you could do this every day for the rest of your life <laughs> like that's an option it's not just an after school thing yeah so I think that show was the moment that I was like, oh, yeah, this is something that I could definitely do as a job. Cool. But it was definitely also really drummed into me to like have backup careers and stuff like that because I guess when you have parents in the arts, they know how like fickle the industry is and they get scared about that. Mm, definitely. Did you have that backup? What, what was that backup for you? Yeah, I went to um, Canterbury Uni and did an undergrad degree, so in English and Mass Communications, and then I went to grad school and did my teacher training as well. Yeah. And then I was like teaching at Shirley Boys High, mm-hmm. being like, oh, I hate this. <laughs> um, <laughs> but it's like a good backup. And then, yeah, auditioning for drama school from there or trying out for the masters and directing from there. Yeah. I think I always just presumed that I would teach drama and theatre. Like I was like, that's a thing I will definitely do. Mm. That's a solid career path. Yeah, yeah. And like working with, because Tom and I have always worked with young people. We started a youth company before we even went to drama school and started kind of devising works with them and stuff. And I think I was really clear that that would be a big part of my career, but I don't know if I knew that 
the directing would be such a big part of my career. Mm. Yeah, I think I thought that it would, the ratio would maybe be like 75, 80% kind of teaching and tutoring and then like 20% would be like maybe directing some shows with young people. Yeah. Um, and I think it wasn't until I went to drama school that I was like, oh, I could actually direct full time as well. That could be a thing that I could freelance and do that for a bit, which was cool as well. Mm. Speaking of being casted in roles and stuff, do you have a dream role? I used to think I would love to be something like Ursula in the Little Mermaid musical. Mm-hmm. And then this year, I've just really enjoyed playing kind of like super mask, just in class, like playing with students. I've really enjoyed like playing kind of like gruff, old, stupid men. Yeah. Um, <laughs> maybe it's my Jack and the Beanstalk roots coming back for me. But, yeah. um, Come full circle. Yeah, I feel like if I was to do a show now, it would probably be more like clown kind of in that territory mm. maybe. Like the funny sidekick. I think so. Mm. Or even just, I don't know, really wild casting of like the prince and something. I don't know. Just going like, how can we screw with some casting a bit? That would be fun. Nice. I have no desire in me whatsoever to play a female heroine lead. I think I'd be like, slay me. This is just <laughs> not my, my idea of a good time. Yeah. <laughs> I'm also not, that's not my type. But yeah, I think the more I, I used to be like villains. Yeah, I'd be a villain. And now I'm kind of like, actually, I think I'd be like a, I don't know, like a stupid king or something. Mm. It's funny because <laughs> yeah. one, one of my other questions is what's your dream miscast role? So I think that answers that question as well, kind of. Yeah, my, my dream my dream miscast role is probably something like Belle from Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. <laughs> like it's probably not anything I would ever play. Yeah. <laughs> or like the lead girl in Mean Girls. Like I feel like I could be one of the mean girls rather than the lead or something. Mm, I could see that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, so speaking of your study we mentioned original scripts and that's where you met Tom, right? It is, yeah. It is. He joined there while he was at boys high when yeah. he was still at high school yeah. yeah yeah so that's where we met cool and that's tom eason for those who don't know about you and tom um, my husband tom eason and business partner and yeah yes i just wanted to throw the name in there because i feel like we'll mention him again <laughs> <laughs> yeah probably yeah yeah our, our lives are pretty intrinsically linked yeah. that's for sure yeah <laughs> so you mentioned that you we're a high school teacher, mm-hmm. but that you quit being a high school teacher to go to Toy Fakati. I did, yeah. How was that making that decision? It was a really big decision because Tom and I had really established a life down here in Christchurch. You know, we had our youth company, we were making and touring shows, we were both teaching original scripts. I was full time at Shirley Boys High. Tom was just finishing off his study. Like, we could have very easily stayed here and carried on doing what we were doing. Yeah. And then. I think it was actually, it was Tom that initiated the conversation. He was kind of like, I feel like I've learned everything I can learn here. Mm. I'm not learning anymore about performing or directing or any of those things. And he was like, I think I'd quite like to audition for Toy Fakati. Mm. And I was like, okay, great. So we started looking at the acting degree and our friend Chris had just, had just gone. So he was first year there. And so every time Chris would come back, he'd fill us in and he helped us make a show when he, in his holidays. And so he was kind of telling us all about the learning and the co-pupper of the place and stuff. And, I was kind of like, okay, well, maybe I'll come to Wellington as well and get a teaching job there or something. I don't know what I'd do, but we went up to Toyfakati for the week and Chris had actually come down and said, well, you know, they have a directing course there. Mm. And I was like, oh, I, have no, I had no idea. 
So we were like, let's go up for a week and really suss out if that's something that we want to do. So um, my sister Paula runs the contemporary at the New Zealand School of Dance. So we just stayed with her and contacted Toifkari and said we're going to come in and spend some time there. And Tom spent some time in the acting classes and I watched some of the classes of the master's degree and I had lunch with Christian Penny, who was head of the directing at that point and then later became head of the school. And we'd done some short courses there the year before, like some teachers' workshops that they let us come and do because we were teachers at O'Scripps, even though they were for high school teachers. Um, so we'd done that and then we spent an extra week there kind of really sussing the place out because A, we were like, if we're going to move to Wellington, we want to know it's the right choice. Mm. But B, if we're going to both embark on three more years of study, like we really don't want to screw that up. Yeah. So yeah, we didn't really sussed it out and we're like, I think this would be a great move for us. We want to learn heaps more to eventually bring back, you know, those skills to Christchurch and we just needed to know more rather than just winging it all the time. We felt like when we were devising shows, we were just winging it. So then we both had to audition or apply for our courses and that was another thing of like, we had a million backup plans of yeah. what if just Tom got in? What if just I got in? Yeah. What if neither of us got in? What if both of us got in? Like what were all our plans? Mm. Um. And then thankfully we both got in at the same time, yeah, <laughs> which was a real relief. Yeah. So then, yeah, then we were like, okay, we found out by the end of November and then just moved our whole lives to Wellington. Mm. Like off we go. What pushed you to do the masters? Was that just what the directing course was or? Was yeah. So the directing thing? course was a masters, masters in directing. Yeah. yeah. So you had to have either an undergrad degree or significant um, relevant experience. So, mm. In my in my class, um, I had an amazing class. I had the best time. It was me, Mel Luckman, Aaron Cordesy, and Joe Randerson. And so Joe Randerson had been working in the industry for years and years. She's a massive, prolific New Zealand writer, um, super accomplished. So yeah, it was kind of more for people who'd been in the industry for quite a while. Sure. And yeah, the interview was like really intense. We had to yeah we had to pitch what we would do as our major project. Wow. If we got into the masters right at the start, yeah, as our audition basically, yeah. and then we had to direct some of it in front of the panel. Jeez! So we had to bring <laughs> act bring actors in with us and direct for half an hour in front of them. Wow! <laughs> yeah, it was intense. Oh my god, it was so nerve wracking. Then we had an interview after that, so that was the first thing we did. It was like, "Hi, I'm Holly. Here's my pitch." And now I'm going to direct in front of you for half an hour, and then we had like a two hour interview after that. It's like Shark Tank. The panel. Oh man, it was so full on. <laughs> I remember being like, oh my God. And I couldn't use Tom because his recall auditions were the same mm. weekend. So I was like, Tom was over at Twiffcuddy, like doing his thing for the weekend. And I was in this very weird building at the bottom of Mount Vic. And luckily <laughs> I could take Chris and another friend of ours, Sam, who I'd worked with for years and years and yeah, direct a scene in front of them. And I just remember this weird thing as a director because not many people watch you direct ever. Mm. And I remember pre that interview being like, my biggest fear was that they were going to say to me, what was that? Yeah. And I was going to, I was going to be like, what do you mean? And they were going to be like, that wasn't directing. What were you doing? And that was my biggest fear. My biggest yeah. fear that is that they would be like, that was not directing. I don't know what the hell you were doing. <laughs> and I remember being like so freaking nervous. And then I finished and Christian Penny said to me, well, clearly you can direct actors. Let's talk about, what do you want to learn and get out of a potential master's course and why we should take you on? Cause I was quite young compared to who they normally took on that course. And mm. I just remember being like, Oh, thank God. <laughs> yeah. What a freaking relief. Cause that was terrifying. Totally. 
You mentioned before that you went to Germany. Yes. Was that part of the course? Yeah, that was one of our internships. Sure. Um, so Tom and I both went with three other friends who were in Tom's acting class. Hmm. And we spent like two and a half months there making shows with Willem Wassner. So we went over and made shows with him and, yeah, made like five different versions of The Seagull. Right. And performed in all different parts of Berlin as well as just seeing stuff. Like I think we saw at least a show a day, if not two, the whole time we were there. Like the only day we didn't see a show was Christmas Day. Yeah. Even New Year's Eve and New Year's Day, we went to see a show as well. Dedication. <laughs> yeah, not the whole group of us did not make it to that show. <laughs> Let me say that. I made it, but there was a couple of empty seats around me. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, so just two and a half months of just making stuff and seeing stuff over there and just experiencing the way that people, particularly in Berlin, see performing artists mm. is, was like life-changing for us. Like you go like, oh, I'm a director or I'm a performer and people are like, wow, that's incredible. Like if we were to say here that we're a surgeon. Yeah. It's like this, a similar reaction because they're just so well funded over there. Like the arts are just, oh, I couldn't believe the funding. It was incredible. Yeah. And that seems like something that you brought back into your uh, career in, in New Zealand and Christchurch. Yeah. We stole heaps of particularly the aesthetic. Yeah. Of the theatre we saw in Berlin because it was just so beautiful and experiential and it didn't matter that we couldn't really understand what they were saying a lot yeah. of the time. So I think we bought a lot of that and I think we also bought a lot of, we saw a lot of like meta theatre mm-hmm. and like really deconstructed stuff and I think we bought a lot of that into it as well and just really provocative art, which I just hadn't seen much of in New Zealand. So I remember feeling really excited by that and being like, oh, how can we make, I think for Tom and I that was our big thing of, how can we like activate people through the theatre that we make? Like not just entertain, but entertain and activate people to go and do something great for the world. So I think that's where that stemmed from as well. And that was in our, we're about to go into our third year of study, mm. which was cool. So we had a whole year to figure it out. <laughs> yeah, totally. Yeah. Moving into your career when you came, or was it was two productions when you came out of drama school? Yeah, well, we officially named it in our third year. Right. Yeah. We, we spent that year kind of being like, because I think up until our third year of drama school, we thought we'd move straight back to Christchurch, keep making shows with our youth company and like make all the change we wanted to make in the city. And then over third year, we were kind of like, we just need more. Like we need more connections. We need more work under our belts. We need so much more. And it was really weird. I was at a hen's party on the Coromandel and Tom was staying with some friends of ours in Auckland and Tom messaged me that called me that night and he was with our friends Sauce and Chardon and they were like we've got a room going in our flat in Auckland you guys should move here and Tom was like do you want to move to Auckland and I was like in the middle of a hen's party with all my Auckland female friends and was just like guys should I move to Auckland and I was like yeah and I was like yeah so we're like okay let's move to Auckland but sorry to answer your question yes during our last year of drama school was when we were like Let's form our company properly. Let's name it. Let's register it. All those kind of things. So that was when we like officially were like we're two productions as well as freelance artists. Mm-hmm. So cool. w- what was the process of actually starting the theatre company like? We found coming up with a name really hard. <laughs> sure. I had like we had like a million options, so we came up with the name, and then we registered it at the as a as a limited liability company Mm -hmm. and we just talked to a whole lot of people who already had 
companies. So our, our friends, Joe and Thomas were already barbarian productions. So we talked to them and just kind of went like, what is, what do we need to do? What's the official channel that we need to do? And then between us, we'd just have these kind of big, big brainstorming sessions where we were like, what is our value statement? What kind of work do we want to make? What's our point of difference? All this kind of stuff. And we also had this hilarious and lovely business mentor that we got matched with in Christchurch. And he was, had mainly mentored construction groups. Mm-hmm. So he helped us write our strategic document and would just ask us the most hilarious questions like, what's your profit margin? Like, what do you want to make in your first year? <laughs> and we were like, we're like, oh, 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 that's not how theatre works. Yeah, <laughs> we're not accountants. <laughs> yeah. If you break even, you're lucky. Because yeah. he was talking like, you know, do you want to hit a million? And we were like, okay, okay, mate. You clearly don't understand the yeah. uh, nature <laughs> of our business. And then I remember the other thing he said to us is like, now the other big thing, I think, is the name. Two mm-hmm. productions. And we were like, yes. And he was like, look, I'm a big believer in if you're a theatre company, you should call yourselves like Christchurch Theatre Company. So everyone like knows what it is. Yeah. And we were like, uh, okay, like that's cool advice. However, no, we won't do, don't won't take that. Thank you. Yeah. And that, <laughs> um, it also kind of limits you to Christchurch. Yeah. And theatre. Yeah. <laughs> like, true. It's kind of like if we wanted to do anything other than theatre and Christchurch, we're like pretty stuck there. Boxton, yeah. So yeah. We did all that kind of like real fundamental stuff of what is a company, what is our company, what does that mean, get a website, do all that kind of stuff. And then we kind of went, if we can make one show, like minimum of one show a year over the next few years, then we'll kind of learn as we go while alongside being freelance and working for a whole lot of other people and learning as much as we can from other projects and other people. Mm -hmm. So that was kind of the goal which was cool. Sure. And speaking of the name, obviously yes. two productions is because there's two of you. Mm-hmm. But also we where it came from is two, like we spell it like the number two because there's two of us, but also there's a word Māori, which is like T-U with a little macron over it. That means to like stand your ground strong, sort of. Stand strong to um, engage to fight is what I've got. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 So that's um, where we're kind of like for us the double meaning – was what we were interested in as well. Mm. And also that feels like to bring the Māori culture into what you do as well is is important. Yeah, totally. I mean, it would be crazy if it wasn't important to theatre makers in our country. I think think it's one of the biggest ways that we can actually make change and be – inclusive and but even more than inclusive just like bring equity and equality to the country um yeah so that's been really important to us especially as like two Pākehā theatre makers totally we're kind of like how do we constantly keep challenging ourselves and our values and honoring the the treaty and all of those things so yeah that was important to us as well Mm -hmm. and another thing that seems important is to have affordable ticket prices and for theatre to just be accessible to everyone. Yep, totally. I think I just grew up in a world where, you know, like even my family would like, would never as a whole family go and see a show mm. because, you know, you're spending like 120 to $150, which is like, that's your grocery money. Yeah. You know, so for me, I'm like, if theatre ever becomes a choice between something that you need to live and going and seeing a show, then I think you have a massive problem Yeah. <laughs> in society. So, um, yeah, for me, that was one of our big things. It's like we will always have as cheap as possible ticket prices or at least have 
an unwaged ticket price or always offer comps to people who need it. Mm. So, yeah, if anyone's been like, oh, I would love to see that, but I can't afford it, we'd be like, come along. Yeah. You know, no one's in theatre to make money, so you might as well make it accessible, <laughs> accessible and affordable if you can. Like, I understand that there's shows that just can't, you know. There's yeah. people that have bottom lines to meet and that's fine, but we've always tried to make in a way that something can be free or really affordable. Totally. You mentioned making a change with theatre, and mm-hmm. there's a term that you guys have used called instrumental theatre. Mm-hmm. What does that mean to you? Well, we didn't know what that was. So there was this amazing woman called Anne Cunningham. So she was funded by the city council years ago. We were still living in Auckland, um, and she contacted us and said she'd been funded by the council to make, to do a study on community theatres in Christchurch and what they collectively need. Yeah, And I think it was the council going, like, if we made one space, could they all live in there together? You know, like the rep and Horswell Players and da-da-da-da, because everyone was crying out for their own spaces. So she got commissioned to do that study, and someone recommended her talk to us. And I think we were the people that were kind of saying something different from everyone else. And so then she started asking us about our work and what it, what it looks like and all this kind of stuff. And she had been living in Holland, I think, for the past couple of years. and. She was like, oh, what you do is instrumental theatre. And we were like, what is that? And so then she told us all about it and we did a whole lot more research into it. We were like, oh, that's exactly what we want to be making. It's like theatre, that is a tool for change. Mm. Even if it's in just a very small way. Like I think people often think that that means like massive protest political statements. Yeah. But it can be in like a really small way you know like a, it doesn't have to be political it might be and often our work is but it also could be a social thing reach out to your peers more for emotional support or you know something like that or tell your parents you love them or I don't know it could be any of those things but yeah so that was it was her that introduced that term to us and we just really loved it because we'd never found like a term that could describe what mm. we wanted to do yeah so we kind of clung on to that a lot yeah totally so moving into the Little Andromeda era, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> I talked to Michael on the podcast just about the general starting up of it. So I was interested in talking to you about your involvement with it. So you were originally on the board, right? Yeah. The trust board. Yeah. And then you moved into yeah. being a programmer. Yeah. How's that process? Yes. Yeah, so I remember being on the board for the tent version. Yeah. And then after it, we kind of had a big debrief and I didn't have a lot to do with it other than helping wherever I could mm-hmm. and seeing as, seeing as much as I could as well but yeah I remember saying to Michael afterwards if we're going to do this again as a board or as a trust I really want to program it yeah not because I was like your programming was terrible but just because <laughs> he was burdened with like every job mm-hmm. and that's an area I've always been really interested in is like sure. programming a venue or a festival or a and also Tom and I have always wanted a space like Little A to exist in Christchurch for people having lived in Wellington and Auckland where there's bats and basement. Yeah. And just being like, this is the breeding ground for creativity and young artists and emerging sector and all of those things. Because our biggest goal coming back to Christchurch was to kickstart the emerging sector of Christchurch. Because mm. we kind of felt like, you know, like Naz just putting out amazing grads and most of them were leaving. And lots of our friends who were living in Auckland were from here and just bailed. So... Yes. So I was like, if we're going to do this again, I really want to be on board for the programming. Yeah. And then, yeah, it kind of all went from there. And it's funny because I didn't really know Michael before I was, before he asked me to be on the board. Yeah. 
yeah, he asked me and I was like, oh, of course I'd love to. And then, yeah, the more I started working on other things, the more Michael and I realized we work really well together. Mm. And between us, we have really good connection and contacts with the industry here and the industry and the rest of New Zealand as well. Yeah. And we both just really respect each other's opinions and thoughts and all of those kind of thing. So we were like, oh, we're a great team. This is awesome. And yeah, just kind of the programming came from there and we just kept going. We'd just have these funny meetings where we'd be like, so if we don't get the money, <laughs> we're just doing this, doing this anyway. Yeah. And we'd both be like, yeah, obviously we're just doing it anyway. Yeah. And then we'd be like, okay, okay. We're just doing it then. I guess we're just doing it. Yeah, just find a way. Yeah, like when Anthony popped, Anthony popped his head in at the end of our pop-up time last year and said, you're not leaving, are you? We both kind of sat down and went, so we just carry on and see what happens? Yeah. And he was like, yeah, great. And a year later, here we are building. Yeah. Which is crazy. Mm. And I kind of came in at the kind of 75% of the way through the big pitch for the performing arts precinct space. Yeah. So I kind of came in really at the tail end of that is when I started coming in in a much bigger capacity. So, yeah, it was great to be working on that side of it to now where we are today, which is building walls. Painted the stage floor yesterday. Yeah. Which is exciting. Totally. And now we have a space. <laughs> yeah. So you open again at the start of November, you said. Yeah, we're pretty on track, actually. So, yeah, early November is when we'll be reopened. And we'll do our summer season and then close in January like we did last year and then back open for February, March, April season and just, yeah, carry on forevermore. We've just signed a really long contract. so Yeah, 10 years or something, that, wasn't it? That, yeah, 10 years. <laughs> yeah, we just signed a 10-year contract. That's so, awesome. Yeah, we're just going to keep trucking, see what happens, see yeah. if we can keep getting, keep getting funding. Speaking of funding, there is yes. a fundraiser happening isn't there yes we're fundraising for taps so what we we were originally going to do a really massive boosted campaign for just like the big chunk of money that we still have outstanding and then a whole lot of artists were kind of saying like how can we help what can we do and we were like actually if each artist did helped us do a small campaign for a concrete thing yeah you know so emma did emma did belts passageway so those are our big theater doors now paid for and then hillary was like what can i do so we we're like okay let's let's do pat's taps so She's paying, her fundraising campaign is paying for, if we get it, is paying for the installation of a sink and taps in our dressing room. Um, so yeah, <laughs> she's she's going to do some tap dancing to fundraise money for, for some taps. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like literally we're fundraising for every little thing that we need to make the space complete because the more we do now, the less we have to kind of disrupt the whole space in the future. So... <laughs> Yeah, there are walls and there's, it's happening. There's painting being done and, yeah, still currently fundraising for lots of little things because I think we're probably still around about forty to $50,000 short yeah. of the 200 that we need. So we've still got a few funding proposals out there, but... But we're going to get there. That's where we're at. That's that's the plan. And I also am like, this. Is, I, I hope that this is the only time we need to do a massive campaign like this. Yeah. Because Michael and I, I think both feel awkward about crowdfunding because often it's just artists giving back to artists. Yeah. So I think that's why we also thought if individual people do it, they probably have wider networks of their partners and family and friends and those wider networks that, yeah, we could put a whole lot of small campaigns together that would equal a big one. Otherwise, I, we just felt like we were adding, asking our artists for money, yeah. <laughs> which we all know artists don't have enough yeah. of, but we'll generously give it anyway. Totally. So, um, 
yeah so that was kind of where that came from and we hope that this is our one and only big crowdfunding boost that we have to do yeah that would be ideal it would be one thing that we haven't touched on much is yes nasta oh yeah great so you are still the head of acting right yep yep head of acting at nasta so i'm I'm there part-time, even though I'm head of acting. So Tom and I are both part-time acting yeah. tutors at NASDA. And it's great. Our secret motive for wanting to work at NASDA was to like really infiltrate the emerging sector <laughs> in Christchurch. Mm-hmm. Yeah. To be like, you know what you should do? You should make theatre. And particularly, you, just, you should make musicals and then take over the country with them. <laughs> like, <laughs> that was kind of our plan of like, you can go work on West End and Broadway and cruise ships and stuff if you want to do that. But also there's an option to stay here and like, make stuff and be a sustainable artist so that was part of our big desire other than that we just love teaching acting and yeah being able to direct shows there and things like that that was part of our big driver yeah one question that I was interested in is does your approach to directing change in an education context or is it kind of the same um I think it's really similar actually Yeah, I think it's really similar. I mean, I'll be more overt about learning Mm. things, I think, in in an ASDA rehearsal room. I think I will be like in the moment, be kind of clearer if it's a teaching moment. Like I'll be like, oh, see, notice this thing that's happening here. Try this, da, 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 which I'm not, I don't do so overtly in a, I don't know, professional, what does that even mean? But professional <laughs> context. Yeah. Um, but I think I still expect, I still, I think I have the same expectations on, yeah. on them as actors. So, sometimes they might need more help in forming their performative offers or their research or, in, or that kind of thing. But I think I'm really similar. I think I'm really big on a positive, playful rehearsal room. Mm. And I think that's the same for me, no matter what rehearsal room. I'm in. I think like a strong show always comes from uh, an equal amounts rigorous process and joyful process. Yeah. And I think I definitely do that at, at NASDA just as much as I do anywhere else. But I think maybe I give actors more time to feel their learning, maybe. Mm. Like let them try and offer that. Maybe I'm like, that's not quite working, but let them try it a few times. To hopefully then they feel that as opposed to maybe in a professional room, I'd be quicker to be like, oh, can we try this? But I think even then, probably not much different. Mm. Yeah. I think I I, lo- I would love the NASDAQs to feel like they can walk into a rehearsal room in any place or space in New Zealand and have experienced that feeling before. Totally. Because it doesn't help to have been babying them for three years and then for them to go out and be like, oh, that's not what it is at all. Totally. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I know that every, every rehearsal room and every process is completely different. And I think we scaffold, you know, like in, in first year, we probably give them more like an own acting class. We're like, this technique will teach you this, you try this, you know, like we definitely do that. And then when it comes to third year shows, it's like, they should be able to know what their process is to get into a character or a world or a, or a show and do that themselves. So I would hope with the way we scaffold by the end of third year, they can pretty confidently walk into any rehearsal room and be able to read the room for what it needs. Mm. That's kind of our, our, one of our big teaching things is like if you can go into any type of rehearsal room and really quickly be able to read the vibe of the room and the way the director wants to work and be able to work alongside that in a really strong way, then that's, 
kind of success for us, I think. Hmm. You said the word scaffolding in that thing. Is that, mm-hmm. is that kind of how you think of it as building it from the ground up, kind of adding things on yeah. as, as you go? Yeah, that, that is kind of how we think of it. So in first year, we very much um, teach like what we think are the kind of fundamentals of performance. Yeah. Um, so around like company building, um, impulse training, through to like the book work stuff, beats, actions, objectives, you know, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, and then in second year, uh, it's like taking that. And then second year, I think for us is more about toolkit, different styles of performance, different ways of building character, different tools of acting, different ways of getting connection in the hopes that in second year, you're kind of going, oh, that worked really well for me. Yeah. That didn't work so well for me. That was I loved that. I respond really well to that. So that in third year, you can use all of those things to put them together mm. to create successful and meaningful performance. Sure. That's kind of how I see it. We also try not to teach too much, like too many different things. Yeah. Because I think that can we really want people to be able to embody and master each kind of toolkit skill that we teach yeah. rather than just like know how to talk about it and not be able to embody it. And when it's obvious that someone isn't connecting with that specific skill, what what happens? What happens then? Do you have it? Do you change up your style to fit them specifically? I think it depends what it is. Like I think, like what's an example? Like say if we're teaching a block on leisure in third year, so yeah. in third year they choose what blocks they want to take. But like, so yeah, the game or the play of the actor. And some students absolutely love it. And some students are like, this is my worst nightmare. Yeah. And I just always, we, I think we always encourage people that even if it's not your jam, like what can you get from it mm. that is useful to you? Yeah. Or can you still try and fully embody it and have a go at it and then figure out what exactly it is in that that doesn't sit right with you or with them as a performer? So then they can be really clear on what does and doesn't sit really well with them. Yeah, so I don't think it's necessarily being like, oh, this technique isn't working for these people. Let's ditch it and do something else. It's more like what can they still get out of it or can we teach them the skills of kind of like critique or reflection or any of that stuff that comes around teaching each technique that will still be useful to them. Mm. And that's kind of teaching uh, adaptation as well. Every yeah. rehearsal room's not going to be the same, so it's kind of teaching how to adapt. Yeah, exactly. And they might get a gig that they're just like, I hate this the whole time. Yeah. But how do you still find something that you connect with, something that's joyful for you, something that you can learn from? Because as long as I think you're finding some sort of joy and some sort of learning, then you're going to be okay. You're going to be safe in yourself in the process. Hmm. Yeah. So that's kind of how we roll, I think. Sure. And I think also just like learning how to build their own versions of everything. Yeah. Kind of putting it into their own body and their own voice. Yeah. And that will look, that'll look different in every actor and that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Learning things. We learn things on this podcast. (laughs) Yeah. I just love learning. eh? I think that's why I've studied so much (laughs) because I think learning's just, and why I love teaching because I think learning is just so special. Like I think it's just one of those things. That some people go their whole lives and don't have that feeling. Like I think we're very lucky in the arts that we just constantly learn. Yeah. Like every process I do, I learn something. And I love that. I can't imagine being in a job where I like do the same thing every day forever and ever and never discover anything new about myself or my artistry or yeah, that would be so, so awful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Another question. Do you have a favorite role that you have played? Or, if not, a most memorable production that you've been a part of? 
we made this really fun show in Auckland where somehow a friend of ours, her husband was the leasing manager of the whole of St. Kevin's Arcade, which is like, I guess people don't know since Kevin's Arcade, it's like a covered off street where there's like multiple shops and cafe spaces. And at this point in time, it was going through like this massive change. So there was only one occupied space in the whole thing. So there was like 10 unoccupied spaces and they just let us take over the whole thing for a show. Cool. And we also got this massive group of performers on board. Like we just messaged everybody that we had wanted to work with in Auckland and was like, hey, we're going to make this epic, immersive, kind of anarchic show in St. Kevin's Arcade. No one's going to make any money. In fact, we're definitely going to lose money. It's not funded. We just want to do it. Who's king? And we end up having like probably 30 of us. And the Wellington City Council let us raid all their office supply store. So we just took like a van there and just like did three trips of stuff. And we kitted out every single space. And the show was called Open for Business. And it was essentially like we'd bring the audience in up this massive staircase down the bottom. And we did this series of like tests, made them do this series of tests. And then they were assigned at the top a lanyard, which gave them their job. And so then they came in to the main space and the three um, kind of heads of the company came out and were kind of like, thank you so much for agreeing to work for us, da 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 off you go to your jobs. And so then everyone got sent to their kind of like different workroom spaces and we had a one group of people were maintenance people and they had to go down and put on, they're all with performers, they had to go and put on um, boiler suits and go and clean all the other spaces and empty rubbish bins and the way we timed it was so that they'd hear Sorry, I feel like this is a very long window no, explanation, but um, <laughs> that hear snippets of information of like how this company was super corrupt. And it was kind of a big play on like, I guess, gentrification and politics and yeah. corporation, corporations all at the same time. So that hear snippets of stuff. And then there was a um, group that would, that were purely in charge of the marketing of this new business. And so <laughs> Hamish, I remember it was Hamish Parkinson was the head of that group with two other actors, Liv Parker and Ruby. and they took this group, they ran out onto the street and they like ran down the street and they were looking for inspiration and colours and they came back and they made all these images for the company and then there was the board and they were making decisions about like hires and fires and it was like pre-election so we just did these big statements of like, what do we think about hiring more women in the workplace? Um, Things like that. And then they would call the next door room which was like the admin room and, and then she would have to fire someone and it was just really elaborate. And then it was like tea break time and everyone came out into the main spaces and Kevin's again. And then they were like, the queen is coming and the biggest decision of all now needs to be made. And so then we had this huge puppet head queen <laughs> arrived to music. Um, and so she arrived to music and then it, we realized that the biggest decision that would had been built up all day and everyone would be talking about it all day at this show. And, the biggest decision was going to be like what biscuits to have in the staff room. <laughs> and so then people had to divide themselves between Shrewsbury's and chocolate chips. And we gave everyone weapons and they just got to have a massive brawl. Um, and whoever won, we all ate those biscuits. Um, so that was really fun. <laughs> that was like super fun. And there was people like, I remember in the admin room, Liv was one of the actors, got the phone call and was like, we need to shred everything and there were just shredders everywhere. And so everyone had to get, get all the paper they could find and just shred it. And so there was just that room just filled up with shredded paper and 
And then Owen, who's head of the maintenance men, just took them on this beautiful journey around all these spaces. And then they went and sat and watched the sunset with a beer. And so just like everyone who came to the show had a very different journey, but all kind of the same sense of like our mission statement with that show is that we want people to leave and have more of a say in the way that our country is governed and run. Mm. And yeah, to, to be bolder about what you think politically, basically. So that was probably my, one of my most memorable moments of also us all just getting together and being like, let's make this show for free. And yeah. it sold out real quick because we had small audience numbers and people hadn't experienced that kind of theater for ages. Mm. And yeah, we, it was like really taxing and we we're all really exhausted and we big borrowed and stole everything we could possibly find. But it was such a great time. That was real, really, really memorable for me, I think. Mm. We had people come, like some people came four or five times because they wanted to try and experience every job because it was like a completely different show depending on where you got put. Yeah, One guy came and he kind of works in an office job and after the show he was just like, he got put in the admin office <laughs> room yeah. and was just like, my whole job is pointless. I have no choice about anything in the world and I don't think I can do that job anymore. <laughs> we were like, wow. oh God. Um, <laughs> yeah, so it was a really different experience depending on like what job you got put in. Yeah. Whether you're on the board who gets to make all the big decisions or um, maintenance men and women who just had to clean and pick up after other people and wash windows and have a nice chill beer and talk about philosophy at the end of the night. And <laughs> it, was, it was really fun. So that was cool. People came multiple times to try and get into different jobs. Yeah. Which was very fun. That sounds crazy. It sounds uh, it was, wild, yeah. Yeah, it was super wild. It was really crazy. But it was very fun. St. Kevin's Arcade is perfect. So we just had all these empty shops. Mm. And they all had big, big glass windows. So you could basically perform stuff. You know, like the, the person who got fired would go on her phone and kind of cry in front of the boardroom. So the board would see the person that they all just ended up voting off to get fired. You know, like it was yeah. just really fun to play with all of that kind of level of complexity. It was wild. Yeah, we were so tired. <laughs> <laughs> but it was good. It was great. Moving away from theatre for a second. Yeah. Into politics. And uh -huh. more specifically that you ran for the community board in 2019. Mm-hmm. Didn't get it, but you got over a thousand votes, which is amazing. Yeah, I know. I got so close. Yeah. It's like, yes. <laughs> yeah. I think I just, the older I get, the more I realize that if I want to change things, I need to be in the position that gets to do the changing. Mm. Yeah. So that was part of me. I think I am, or I've always been like, I'll probably end up in politics somehow. I really like that world. I like the world of governance. I find it interesting. I don't mind conflict yeah. and fighting for what I believe in. So I was kind of like, what's a good step in that direction while I, whilst still being able to do all the other things that I want to do? And then, yeah, I was like, community boards are good way into that, I think. Mm. So, yeah, I was like, just, just have a stab. Fun. Yeah. Uh, do, <laughs> do you plan on doing it again? Going for it again? I think I will. Yeah. I think so. Yeah. I think I need to sit down and like properly reevaluate what I think my trajectory is at the moment. But yeah, I think I would, I still want to go in that way of some sort of political career somehow, I think. Mm. I also feel like there's not enough, enough artists in governance positions. 
which is probably why we end up with not a lot of funding and not a lot of understanding. There's great artists that work for the city council in the kind of arts area, but none kind of on the council really. Oh, I think there's one who has, he has a murder mystery company as well. But um, yeah, I just feel like more people who've been in the arts need to have voices in the kind of public political sphere. That's what I think. Yeah. I also just find politics really interesting. Yeah, just just being able to make a change, I think, is really, really important. Yeah. yeah, yeah, for sure. And, yeah, being okay with the consequences that come with being in those leadership positions as well. Like, I think some people are like, it's my worst nightmare to be in politics, whereas I kind of, like, love the challenge. Like, mm. give me a boardroom of old white men any day, and I'm, like, stoked. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of making a change in people's lives and... Mm. more specifically in one person's life one thing that we haven't touched on is you being a mother i am you are i am i am it's very weird i it, i still don't i don't know you know how there there are some women out there which i think is great that are like you know if you had to introduce yourself you're like i'm holly and i'm a mom like mm-hmm. i'm not i'm very maternal but i feel uncomfortable about being labeled as a mother which sounds so shit <laughs> I don't know why it is, but I I feel like I am a mum and like I, I love being a parent, but I also, it freaks me out that that might be one of the main things that I'm identified as. Yeah. I don't know why. It's so weird because he's great. You're just a best friend to a young, younger person. <laughs> yeah. Like Tom and I, I don't know. It's so, I feel maybe it's maybe it's because it makes me feel old I don't know I don't know where the root of this comes from but yeah there's something that feels very weird about uh, I feel still feel very weird about being like I'm a mother yeah. <laughs> I don't know why because he's almost three so I probably need to get over that <laughs> <laughs> but yeah being a parent in this industry is also something that I think more people need to talk about because it is super tricky mm. yeah how's it been being a mother in arguably one of the busiest times in your career. <laughs> yeah, it's full on. So I had him a little bit early. I had to come home early from directing the solos at Toy Ficati because I wasn't allowed to fly after 37 and a half weeks. Mm-hmm. So I was 37 and a half weeks on the day that I flew back wow. from Wellington because I <laughs> stayed until the very last moment I could. So I, just, I was directing solos and like that process is like, you know, 15, 16 hour days. It was like 37 weeks pregnant, walking up and downstairs into a cold basement theater, but like loving it, feeling great, a bit sore, a bit tired, but fine. And then flew home. And then Tom came home a week later and we thought we'd have a few weeks to kind of get really prepared. I mean, I'm organized, so it was fine. But um, we then had just started working on the Court Theatre Youth Company devised project. And I had Louis two and a half weeks earlier than. We thought that he was coming. Right. I was induced. We went away for a weekend to Hamner and I was getting real pissed off because the guy wouldn't let me white water raft. He was like, you're <laughs> clearly, very, clearly very pregnant. You cannot white water raft. I was like, but, but my sister and my brother and sister-in-law are doctors. He was like, no, stop. And then on the Monday morning, went into my obstetrician and then he was like, you need to be induced. How's 12 o'clock? And we were like, whoa. And then we had rehearsal on Wednesday night. So we were still in St. George's. Tom ducked out to rehearsal that Wednesday night and came back to the hospital. We had Lou was only two days old. And then that Saturday we both went to rehearsal. So from about, uh, from about five, four or five days old, he was just like in rehearsal rooms. (laughs) That wasn't full time process. So it was quite nice, but um, 
when we did the when we did the show season at the Isaac, he was just in a little Moses basket asleep <laughs> behind where we were at the tech desk. Yeah. And if he'd wake up, we'd just like quickly feed him. And I think he was about three or four weeks old by then. And then we went straight into making the little prints for summer times. Mm. So he was just six week old baby chilling in the rehearsal room. Either I had him or Tom, who was before me, had him or Rutani had him yeah. or the stage manager had him or sometimes <laughs> mom would come in and take him for a little walk around the art centre or whatever. And He's everyone's baby. Yeah, yeah. And we had <laughs> we had friends staying with us for that show too. So um, yeah, he was just like, he was great because he was super chill and he was a good sleeper. So we were really lucky. And mm. yeah, basically every process we've done, he's kind of been a part of. I think we're at a lucky time in the world where it's absolutely acceptable to have your child with you at work, your baby with you at work. Like I remember yeah. there were days when Tom was doing Astro Man at the court and I was at NASDA where it was actually easier for Tom to have him at his rehearsals at the court. And, you know, there's photos of like Nan Brunning with Louie like on her front, just like <laughs> she's like directing away. And yeah. Tola had a wee, ba- a wee baby, a really similar age. So Sometimes there's the two babies and everyone just doing the thing. And sometimes Juanita's kids were there too. And we've always been a rehearsal room that's like very open to families. And yeah. we understand how important it is to be able to keep working even when you're a parent. So um, it's been nice that people have been like that for us as well. And Nasda have been really great like that as well. Who was often asleep in the pram in the corner of our <laughs> acting class or yeah. someone would take them for a wee walk or whatever. But yeah, it's definitely a lot more organizing and a lot more mm. Tom and I and have to negotiate particularly evenings, like if he's in a show and I'm needing to be at Little A or we both just want to go and see something, then we negotiate a lot around that. Yeah. But yeah, we're also very lucky that we're in a city where we have a lot of family and friends and people that want to hang out with them, which is really cool. So it's definitely busier. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> and no matter how late we're working, we still have to get up to a toddler in the morning. Yeah. But it's been less difficult than I thought it might be. Cool. I mean, I grew up in a rehearsal room, so yeah. <laughs> so he probably will as well. <laughs> yeah. Do Do you yeah. think? Obviously, it's very early, but do you think he'll? Do you think he likes being in the rehearsal room and will continue to? Yeah, he does. Unfortunately, he, <laughs> him and Tom do shows before bed every night. I have to sit yeah. on his bed and watch watch them. He, he's Amazing. allowed to do two show two shows before bed, and he tells me my audience lines. Then tells Tom what the show was, and then they have to come out and perform it. I think also his only concept of work is shows. Mm. So like when he role role plays, he'll be like, I'm off to work, off to the shows. <laughs> and you'll be like, okay, man. Like I think that's what he thinks everyone does for a job. Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if he'll want to be in this industry when he's older. Who knows? Who knows? But, you know, he can be whatever he wants to be. And we don't really care. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> On the same line, we have a listener question. Oh. From Tim Hodson. Great. Who says, how do you maintain a healthy support structure when in the same creative industry as your partner? Oh, that's a really good question. Yeah, well, we have a lot of family here, which is our biggest support structure, I think, in terms of particularly helping with Louis if Tom and I are both full-time on something, which is really great. When we came back from Auckland, what we realized is that we didn't have our artist friends here. That was a big shift for us because we have a lot of friends here from high school and things, but none of them are in our industry. Yeah. So we missed that a lot because obviously our friends up there who were who we made work with and even just who were in the same industry as us, we had those support network 
networks to call on when we made shows, but also just to like jam with us about ideas and mm. who just kind of got what we were doing. And we're just like, oh, of course you're busy because of this or whatever. So we found that a bit tricky when we first moved back. Yeah, I think Tom and I have been really careful to not become too insular. Yeah. So I think it, it would be really easy to just hang out with us yeah. <laughs> and make shows with us and not reach out and not be good colleagues and not be part of the community and and also to to not have friends outside of our industry. We always made a really big point to make sure that we kept our friendships up and our um, peer relationships up and stuff so that we didn't just become like very reliant on each other. Mm. We also like really have always been careful about giving each other advice or critique on processes that we're not involved in. Always there is a sounding board, but never, like I would never try and give Tom any performative advice mm. on a show that I'm not not directing <laughs> um, because it's not my vision and not my show. If he's struggling with something, I'll definitely help. Or if I'm struggling with something in terms of like my vision of directing something, like definitely we help each other, but we're also cautious of keeping our individual work sort of separated, if that makes sense. Sure. So there to support, but not necessarily as a collaborator on, in that, those terms. Mm. Yeah, we also do a thing where that we call being each other's cheerleader, which is like when we see, <laughs> this is probably more of a me problem than a Tom problem, but <laughs> I like often if I'd see a piece of work that Tom would be in that I didn't have anything to do with, I would like just unleash on critique straight after seeing it. Yeah. So I'd be like, oh, this was cool, but I, I didn't really love this moment or this moment or I liked who you did this, but I didn't like this or whatever. So we've worked really hard to separate like when we're a partner and when we're a collaborator. Mm -hmm. So when we go and see each other's work, we call it being each other's cheerleader. So the first time we see it, we view it as a family member of just like, you were so great. I loved that so much. I really appreciated the work, which is not lying. It's just like appreciating mm -hmm. the work and, and the joy and pleasure in it and that it's not our job to like critique each other in that yeah. moment, yeah. but just be proud of each other. Mm. So I think we've worked really well on that too. I think that makes a really big difference as well. And also when we go to other people's work to just be proud of the fact that people are making stuff because making theatre is so hard, Yeah, you know, like to then go and rip to shreds other people's work is just like not something we're interested in doing. Yeah. <laughs> just being like, shit, yeah, you made a show. That's awesome. Yeah. And it's almost like being off duty, you know, when you're not working on the show, it's like, I'm not working on the show. <laughs> yeah, just the pleasure of seeing other people make a show. Yeah. I definitely didn't wasn't like that when I first came out of my training. It was definitely like everything I see is an opportunity to learn and I still think that, but yeah, in a like more celebratory way, I think. Mm. Wrapping things up. Mm. This podcast, as you know, is called Broadway and Other Kiwi Dreams. Mhm. Based around, you know, being in the, being in this industry. So, what is your Kiwi dream? My Kiwi dream is that Christchurch is the like epicenter of artistry in the country and that anyone who wants to like make new and exciting and innovative and original works is like Christchurch is where I should live. Boom. That's my dream. Clicks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's going to happen. It is. That's, it's already happening. That's the goal. Yeah. That's the goal. At the moment it's like, oh, if you want to be in screen and film, you go to Auckland. Yeah, And so I really want it to be like, if being a sustainable maker of work is what you want to do, 
Christchurch is where it's at. And having booked a 10-year lease on a theatre. Yeah, I'm really gambling on that to, to be, be a, the dream. a reality. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I think it's less of a like personal dream for me, but more of like a, a dream that I want to achieve for our city, I think. Totally. What's yours? Mine, I have many. <laughs> yes. The new one of podcasting is apparently one that's come in in the last year. Great. Ever since I've started doing theatre, I've always been interested in the behind the scenes aspects of theatre and the technical side of things. So is that. Yeah. I also take photos and do videos, so who knows? <laughs> Lots. Lots. Sounds like just artistry in general, which yeah. is cool. Yeah. yeah. Anything that doesn't make you much money is kind of my... <laughs> <laughs> Story of my life. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Story of all of our lives in this industry, I yeah. think. Hopefully not forever. Yeah, hopefully that changes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much mm. for coming on the podcast. No worries. Thanks for having me. And... Thanks to everyone for listening, and we'll talk to you again mm. with another amazing guest. Yes. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that conversation with Holly and learned just as much as I did about acting and being a theatre producer. The fundraiser for Pat's Taps at Little Andromeda is running until October 2nd, so get in quick if you want to support this wonderful theatre and give the artists a place to wash their hands. If you're listening after October 2nd, there will be more fundraisers coming up for you to support, so keep an eye on the Little A Facebook page to keep updated. If you want to follow Holly, you can do so at 2.productions on Instagram. That's at T-W-O.productions. If you would like to support the podcast, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash and other Kiwi dreams, where you'll get early access to episodes, unedited video versions, behind the scenes content, and more. Patreon.com forward slash and other Kiwi dreams. You can also follow the podcast at and other Kiwi dreams on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and the website, which I'll link in the description. And as promised, I will leave you with a promo clip from That's Not Canon Productions and talk to you next time with another guest on Broadway and other Kiwi dreams. That's Not Canon is a community committed to giving new podcasters a platform to share their voices and have some fun. If you would like to get started podcasting or simply enjoyed this podcast and would like to find out more, you can head over to our website at that'snotcanon.com. If you simply want to support us and what we do, we would very much welcome your patronage at patreon.com forward slash that's not canon. <laughs>